0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. So real quick, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to read uh, verses 7 through 24, right? So you should have um, uh, your Bible, or you can use your phone. If you don't have those, you should be able to get a Bible. It should be in the back of your pew somewhere. Um, so check that out. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 24. And that is a lot of verses. I just want to acknowledge that. So, like, settle in. It's going to be all good. We're going to read together. Back in the day, they would read a whole book of the Bible together in the synagogue. So we can handle a few verses. All right. All right. Here we go. (laughs) I'm cracking myself up right here. Y'all don't even even know what I'm thinking. But I I keep it to myself, trying to keep my time to a certain point. Okay, here we go. Verse 7 says this. Now he told a parable. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 12. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a, a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, He said to him, blessed is anyone, everyone, excuse me, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant uh, to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'll go to examine them. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And so you guys then said, like, how in the world is he about to preach all this in less than an hour? And I promise you, I'm going to do that. We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through um, together so here what we have here um, in this text is we're going to talk about humility but before we get into that I just I just want to say that i I love games um, and I love I love sports um, really because of the spirit of of competition so real quick if you, with games, like if you're someone that you like to play cards, would you, any card players in the room? It's okay. All right. Okay. Um, a spades is what I typically have seen. I've got some spades players. Okay. Um, that gets real competitive. That's really why I don't play. I just like to watch because <laughs> uh, I don't want to get in trouble with my partner. Um, so <laughs> that's the truth. That's why I don't play spades. I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, what about, uh, anybody like play uh, dominoes? Any dominoes players? Okay. Okay, uh, what about checkers, you yeah, know, oh, chess, okay, all right, all right, okay. Um, do I have any hoopers in the room, any basketball players? No, oh, some in the back, okay, okay. I wish I could hoop, my ministry would look totally different, um, but I can't at all, so that's not a thing. But, but here's what happens, and so you have a competitive spirit, and it plays out in games, in the sports, but sometimes it's not your day. Sometimes, despite your competitive spirit, um, you may lose that particular game. Right. And sometimes what happens when you lose is you're 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 filled with unbelief. How in the world did that happen? And so if you lose in the game, what's the first thing that you want to happen next? Anybody? Rematch. You want to rematch, Doc? uh, Well, we call that is no, we need to run it back. We need to to do this again because I'm confident that the second time around or the third time around that you would not be victorious. And so what we find here in the scripture is the Pharisees felt like they wanted to run it back because here again, they are confronting Jesus about the Sabbath. So, right, we didn't read verses 1 through 7, but in verses 1 through 7, Jesus is invited to the leader of the Pharisee's house, okay? He's not there to be honored. He's there because they want to trap him. They want to trick him into a healing on the Sabbath so that his ministry can then be uh, discredited, right? But Jesus, being who he is, what he ends up doing, he ends up exposing their hypocrisy, and then he leaves the Pharisees speechless, and then the, Jesus is like, "Well, since you don't have something to say, I definitely have something to say, and I'm going to talk to you about humility." So, when it comes to humility, there's there's different definitions, but the way it's often characterized is um, by its genuine gratitude, a lack of arrogance, and a modest view of oneself. However, the biblical definition of of humility goes goes beyond this, right? So. So here's what humility is, as it's referred to in the Bible. Humility is understanding ourselves properly in light of who God is and who we are. We are absolutely bankrupt of spiritual worth. We are unable to please God and experience eternal life apart from Christ's sacrifice. Right. So eternal life. We also think of length of life, but but eternal life. It means that. But it's also dealing with a quality of life. So so we, are, we can't experience the quality of life that we are meant to experience apart from Christ. So humility is all about seeing yourself as who you really are as it relates to God. But we see how challenging this is, even right off top, because we live in a society that strays and it shies away and runs from the reality. There are people that they don't want to see things how they really are. I'll give you an example. It's, it's called um, My Truth. Because truth is not even absolute anymore and we can, we can legitimately argue about facts because someone has the ability now in today's society to, to say their own truth. But that's not my sermon. I'm not going to go there today. But, but this idea of humility, we see it play out in a parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18. So in Luke 18, there's a parable where Jesus is talking about uh, two people in the temple. You have a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee is saying, Oh man, I thank God that I pay my tithe, I serve, I do all these religious activities. And he says, Man, at least I'm not like the prostitutes, the extortioners, and especially this tax collector over here. And then you have this tax collector who, who was so distraught at his sin and is beating his chest, asking for forgiveness. And Jesus says that it's the tax collector that's going to walk away justified, and not the Pharisee, because when we look at humility, right, it is it is uh, uh, this acknowledgement of our absolute bankruptcy of spiritual worth. But the Pharisee in this moment, he he's not bankrupt because he has value based on his activity, so he's not experiencing humility. And so the man, though, is humble. And he's the one that walks away justified. So, so this is what we're talking about. Humility is a central thing in today's message and what we'll be talking about today. So real quick, so, so let's dive into we're going to be anchoring the scripture today. Right? So we're going to march back through all those verses. It'll be it amazing. So just, just hold on. So let's get back into verse 7. Right? Verse 7 through 11. I'm going to get back into that. Here's what it says. Again, now he, now he told a parable. To those who were invited when he when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he uh, who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will have to begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, hey, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's the situation. Jesus is is at this Pharisee's house, this important Pharisee's house. And so they would have been sitting in a a U shape. And the host would have been sitting at the bottom of the U. And so honor and shame are really important in this society and in this culture. And so so the the seats of honor would have been right next on the right and the left of of the host at the bottom of the U. And then the further you got away from the host, the, the less honor... Right. You had at this particular banquet or dinner or feast. And so what Jesus is is witnessing is these Pharisees that that are literally jostling for position to sit in the place of honor. And so Jesus has some words for him and he's he's not just talking about etiquette. Right. They they would know this information. This is not new information. What he's talking about is how things should go in the kingdom of God. Humility, you should have humility in a way that it would manifest itself, Pharisees, in the, in the places you would decide to sit. If you were truly humble, it wouldn't matter where you sat. So Jesus is saying instead of exalting yourself in your own strength, right, take a low position. Conserve your energy. And at the proper time, that comes from First Peter 5, right? At the proper time, the host will exalt you as only he or she can, bringing you to the seat of honor and remove the person in your seat. That's a whole other sermon how the Lord will remove someone to make room for you, your gift, your faith. All right, I won't, I won't go there. That's a whole other thing. I won't do that. Um, remove the person sitting in your seat, and the host will do this in full, in full view of everyone that's present. So we're saying, like, hey, Hey, sit sit over here, and then have the host come grab you, and everyone has a chance to watch you go to the places of honor. You can be like, "How you like me now?" As you go sit up top with the host, right? It's better to be in that position. And so Jesus is—he's addressing the Pharisees' tendency um, to exalt themselves, and we see this all throughout the Bible, right? The Pharisees would would walk with such an arrogant pride to the degree that when, when the Pharisee walked in the room, they, they really believed that there was no one more important than them in the room. And they fully expected people to serve them and exalt them because of, of the value that they had given themselves because of their stature as a Pharisee. And that's why Jesus said this about them in Matthew 23, verse 5 and 7, says this, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They exalt themselves. But But let's not be too hard on the Pharisees. I think sometimes we give... The Pharisees are bad rap. All the Pharisees weren't like this. And then, plus, I would say that in many instances, in many occasions, we will find that we have some things in common with the Pharisees. And this is the part of the sermon where you won't like what I have to say because I'm going to intentionally get in your business. But if I'm not, then I'm not doing my job. Here's the deal at some point, we hear the gospel. At some point, we say yes to the gospel and say yes to Jesus. We begin to go on a journey where we begin to do what's right and to avoid what's wrong. But somewhere in the middle of that, Jesus will highlight some aspect of our heart. And he'll poke at it. And what's this? What's that? What's that right there? I might want to deal with that right there. And we say, oh, hold on, Jesus. No, no, no. You can't touch that part of my life. You can't touch that part of my heart. That's off limits. You can't can't touch that. And instead of dealing with it, instead of addressing it, instead of confessing it, instead of getting help with that thing, instead of coming clean, here's what happens. We become satisfied with appearing as though we're good Christians. We become satisfied with appearances. And then we busy ourselves with religious and moral action in an attempt to run from God, uh, run from God, penetrating the heart. So let me ask you this question. Do you have any areas this morning that's off limits to the Lord? Do you have any areas that you've compartmentalized? you got your faith life over here, but you don't let you, you don't let the faith life get into this part over here? Is that you? Will you only go so far, you don't want the Lord to touch certain parts of your life? Here it is, though. This is why, then, if that's you, and I would say that's been all of us at some point in our life, being honest, right? Let me just do this. I'm going to raise my hand, right? This is why, though, we have such weak and impotent versions of Christianity in America. Because you have people busy doing things but don't have a heart transformed. There's a severe lack of true worship and joy, and you just have things to do. And if you do them well enough uh, to get, if you do them well, you get to look at other people who aren't doing those things well, and you get a chance to feel superior. So what happens is, again, we, so we begin, because we relate to our faith just by the things that we do, we attach our value and our worth just by the things that we do. And then so then to feel good about ourselves, right? So we stack ourselves up against somebody else and we say, at least I'm not like that person, like in the parable. And we begin to feel good about ourselves at the expense of other people. And then once we go on that journey, as we continue to satisfy and gratify ourselves, it becomes out of control. And then we don't have the capacity to have empathy for someone else that's going through something because it's always about us. So this is what happens. And the reality is, and it's not necessarily that you're a bad person. No. This is human nature. The moment you draw lines for the Lord as far as what he can and can't do in your life, the moment you draw lines in your heart, you have, this is how you behave. Because this is what we do as humans. So as, as long as we do that, then you will find yourself in this position. But we'll get back to the text. So let's, let's keep going further. So, so, um, so Jesus, in this part, we just talked about, he's addressing the people that were at the dinner. Okay, that's this is the first parable. And the second parable is meant to address the host, right? Equal opportunity rebuking, right? Jesus is going to leave nobody left out. Verse 12 says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, or your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest you also invite, um, lest lest they also invite you in return, and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So basically what's going on here is it was a culture of reciprocity, right? So basically if you do something for me, right, uh, uh, then I'm expected to then do something for you. So oftentimes the person that will come to a dinner and that will be sitting on the right or the left might not be the person with the most honor, but that may be the person that's most able to reciprocate the honor for them so that when they have a dinner, guess where the expectation is that they would sit in the place of honor. Right. It was so deep that sometimes people would refuse the invitation because they knew they couldn't reciprocate. That's how deep this was. Also, I don't know if you remember when James and John asked Jesus, hey, hey, who's going to sit on your right and not your left in your kingdom? It was so ingrained in the culture. But here again, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, their preoccupation with their own self-interests. And he's saying that that in order uh, to enter the kingdom, you must humble yourself in a way that it would manifest itself and also who you would invite to dinner. So let's look, it goes deeper in verse 14, it says this, it says, and you will be blessed because uh, they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this would have been a big deal to the Pharisees um, because they felt like they were going to definitely be at the resurrection of the just or righteous. The Pharisees believed they were righteous and the resurrection was their whole hope, right? For them, the, the, the resurrection was it for them because, because there were relentless burdens and limitations attached to living under Jewish legal tradition. So much so it was painful, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a, a deprivation, a self sacrificing. But they were willing to suffer in this life to gain life eternal and to be free in the eternal life from such limitations. So everything that they were doing, all that extra rule following was so that they could earn a spot by their merits, by their actions in the resurrection of the just. That's the whole thing for them. If we were playing poker, all their chips will be pushed in to their external behavior. Because they were counting on the reward that they would get in eternity. And so someone said this in verse 15, it says, when one of those who reclined at the table... With him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. So regardless of what Jesus is saying about exalting yourself, right? Regardless of that, homeboy is still like, oh yeah, and we are going to be there. Blessed is are we who are going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. So despite Jesus' rebuke, despite his implied correction... They still believed and, and, and did not capture the fact that Jesus could be saying and applying. Oh, you might not be there. So then Jesus says, oh, "Okay, I got to keep breaking it down. Got to break it down a little more. Let me get let me get another parable on deck for you." And so, so Jesus tells another parable because they're not getting it. So, what does Jesus do in his parables? He uses the natural, the things they can understand to communicate spiritual principles. Here he goes again, right? So here we go. Back into the text, verse 16. You guys are doing amazing. You guys are so good. Thank you so much. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say, um, to, say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses They first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So here's the thing about the banquet and why that's significant, right? So to, to be invited, so there's a banquet, it's a big banquet, there's a lot of people there. And so, so you, you, this is probably a wealthy man because you'd have to be wealthy to, to invite so many people. So, so the thing about banquets and feasts like this, this is, the, this is the pinnacle of social life. This would be the experience of a lifetime for somebody to be invited to a banquet like this. Because you have to remember this is a, a time of agriculture. Right? And you didn't have a ton of, of entertainment options back then. Right? We love to go eat out. We love to explore different foods. Heck, I waited in line an hour on Cinco de Mayo to get some Mexican food, right? It was that queso was good, huh? Babe? Right? Because we, we have this ability. We got we have access to things. We can we can go bowling, right? We can we can go shopping. We can take I mean, trampoline. I mean, there's limited, unlimited options that we have available to us. But they, what they're primarily worried about is putting food on the table, because they can't just go to the fridge and, and throw something out. They can't heat up leftovers, right? So it's this mundane day in, day out struggle to provide food and to provide clothing for themselves, and just to make it. And you mean to tell me that? I'm invited to the feast. Oh my goodness. I get to enjoy someone else's amazing food. I get to enjoy the fellowship. I get to enjoy music and sing and dance and be entertained. And I got to deal with this for a night. Hello. Yes. Right. Of course you would do that. Right. But what we find in the text is, is that's not what happened. And, and, And the Pharisees, when they would hear this, it would it would be laughable to them because this is so apart from what would actually happen. Like, like, this would never happen. Like, they acknowledge this. This would be laughable to them, right? So, for people to, to ex- excuse and to deny the invitation, that, well, that just wouldn't happen. And plus, the excuses are whack, right? Because who, who goes and, and, and buys the field and then takes a look at it after? Like, we don't have Zillow. You can't do things sight unseen now. Like, like you wouldn't do that. Like, like, who would who would buy the five yoke of ox before go try it out before you bought it? And then, like, when it comes to the, to the, the wife thing, I mean, I mean, now that's a thing, or so, but it wouldn't have been the thing back then. Thank you, baby. I appreciate your support. Like, you love me and everything, but women wasn't running nothing back then. I'm just saying that's way it was. So that's a ridiculous excuse. And so again, the Pharisees, like, man, what Jesus? What are you getting at? Because this your parable ain't making sense, doc. Make it make sense. So he continues. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master um, of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So now you have the host. He, he extends the scope of his invitation. Now the poor, now the lame, now the crippled are invited to the banquet. And then when that didn't do it, he said, all right, now, now go out into outside the city and go compel them to come. To my banquet feast. They had to be compelled. Why? Because they already knew they didn't belong. You didn't have to convince them that they didn't belong. You didn't have to convince them of their spiritual bankruptcy. They knew they were Gentiles. So they had to be compelled to come to the banquet. And then everything changes in verse 24. Where it says this. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So, this whole time we've been talking about the parable and the man in the parable. But now Jesus says, No, uh uh-uh. uh. Now none of these folk are gonna going be invited to and shall taste my food at my banquet. So he switched it. So, all of a sudden, oh, you're not talking about the parable. You, oh, you're hosting a banquet. Oh, oh you're inviting people. Oh, so it, it totally switches now what this means for the Pharisees. So check this out. In Isaiah, and the Pharisees would have known this, Isaiah 25, it talks about the resurrection of the righteous. And he relates that The metaphor he uses is a lavish feast. So all of a sudden now Jesus is the host for this lavish feast. And, and he sent out the first invitation. The first invitation, right, was when God first made a covenant with the people of Israel, right? Abraham, Father Abraham, right? Uh, 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 Abraham, uh, Moses, right? Go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. David, right? The man after God's own heart, right? These are the people that God established covenants with on behalf of Israel. And the people of Israel said yes. And they began to worship at the temple and the priests and all that. That's, that's because they said yes to the first invitation. But now you have the second invitation where now it's like, okay, now the second invitation is for you, To follow me. Jesus is saying you have to follow me. But the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus. And just like how ridiculous the excuses were in the parable, this is how ridiculous it is for the Pharisees to reject Jesus' invitation. Because check this out. you, You have the Pharisees living a very strict life. Self-sacrificial, deprivation, uh, restraint, um, all so that they can experience the resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous. All their chips are in, betting that they're earning their way into that, into eternity. But you have Jesus here saying, hey, Doc, you, you don't even have to do all of that. You, you're doing too much. And as a matter of fact, even after you're doing all those things, that's not going to get you into the resurrection of the of the righteous. So again, it doesn't make sense for for the Pharisees to hold on to this very painful, restrictive lifestyle when Jesus is offering some so much more, just in following Him, and having an opportunity to be humble and to sincerely love those they come in contact with, which essentially lines up with the Word of God. It doesn't make any sense, but. How tragic would it be then for the Pharisees to dedicate their entire lives to experience the resurrection of the righteous, only to find out that they are all striving, all their striving, self-sacrifice and deprivation was in vain. They missed out. And so, friends, here's the deal. We, we don't know how the Pharisees responded. We don't know if they had an opportunity to repent. But, but upon reflection, what they may have said is, like, oh, man, um. Uh, in order for me to have this posture of humility, it's going to completely change my way of life. But to allow that to be an excuse would be ridiculous. Just as ridiculous as it was for the man to refuse the invitation in the banquet. So, Jesus, so he, he, he's playing again on their intellect. It doesn't make sense. The gospel isn't just spiritual, right? The gospel makes Common sense for you to exchange one thing of bondage and burden to uh, exchange it for freedom and, and a lifestyle of liberation and peace. right? It doesn't make sense to not do that. And so, friends, for us, God is extending to us also an invitation. God is extending an invitation for us into a relationship with him. It's an opportunity to know the creator of the universe. And not just know him by name, but to, to know him, know him, right? That to, to, they would say in my church, to know that you know that you know him. The one who made you in his image, the one who gave you unique gifts and purpose and talents and, and, and personality and a unique spirit, you can know him. You can experience him and his love for you. And not just now, and also into eternity. And listen, to not to say no to that invitation doesn't make sense. It, I'm going to just play it out. It didn't make sense in the parable. It, doesn't, it didn't make sense for the Pharisees. And it doesn't make sense for us to say no to the invitation. Why? Because, because the moment, again, that we draw that line and say, Lord, you can't access this area of my heart, then, that means by, then, then for us to have worth and significance, we're basing it all on our external actions, our merit, the things that we do. And when we do that, it's a burdensome life. It's a restricting life. And at the end of the day, it's not going to get us to where we want to go. And then on top of that, you look at what the world has to offer you. Man, if the world served up its best plate and put it before you, it's still going to leave you unsatisfied and disappointed and empty. Over and over and over again. So why would you not take on the invitation to be in a relationship with Jesus when you can have freedom and love and transformation and satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose? The Lord is extending an invitation to us. So that's the first invitation. Second one is for us to follow Jesus. Because we can only have a relationship with God through Jesus. But to, but to follow Jesus requires that we have a posture of humility. We have to understand what's really going on and see things for how they really are. We're spiritually bankrupt. We have a desperate need for Jesus. And we have to value uh, the interest of of those around us above our own. But it's a posture that will lead to us being exalted at the proper time. Because God cares for you. So the question is, what are you going to say to that second invitation? Because you could be in here, you could have been in the church for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And this invitation could still be for you because up until this point, you've only dealt with faith. You've only dealt with Jesus from an external perspective. And now Jesus is saying like, yo, you have an opportunity to go deeper. You have an opportunity to to actually know the Lord, like know him for real. You have an opportunity to to have your heart transformed, experience transformation. You have an opportunity to become a new creation. You have an opportunity to be made new. You have an opportunity to experience joy and satisfaction you didn't even know that existed before. That is what is at stake and that is the opportunity that you have. And so what are you going to say to this second opportunity Will you say yes or will you make excuses for the reason you can't be at the banquet feast the Lord has prepared for you? Amen. So here's the deal. So we're talking about matters of the heart. And so it's, it's kind of hard to, to kind of figure out how can we get down to the root of this thing, right? So um, when I think about the Pharisees, I think about his interaction, the Pharisees' interactions with Jesus. So when, when Jesus would do his thing, the, the primary emotion that the Pharisees would experience is, Anger. They'd be fired up. They'd be indignant. They tried to throw homeboy off a cliff that made him so mad because Jesus was interrupting their personal agenda. So then, the first step for us maybe then is to pay attention to the negative emotions that we experience. Because check this out. Your emotions shouldn't be a dictator, but they're always an indicator. You can fake the folk and here all you want to. Come in looking nice, put together, like my wife did my hair, things look good, right? I'm up here preaching, got it going on. You can, we can play the game. I can do it with the best of them. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Save, sanctify, filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Raise my hand. Worship. Yes, Carrington. Yes. Right? We can do all of that. but your Moses will betray you. Because as soon as Jesus interrupted the Pharisees' program, they got fired up and they got mad and they got angry. So pay attention to when you experience negative emotions because it's a window into what's going on inside of you, right? So pay attention to that. then secondly, spend time reflecting on why you're experiencing that emotion. You have to get down to the root of that thing. Why, why am I angry? Why am I irritated? Why, why is it that what that person said got under my skin in the way that it did? And so you have an opportunity to allow the Lord access to that area, and listen. Let me say this: essentially, with what we're trying to do, and being uh, having a posture of humility, what you're doing is um, you're saying that you're dying to yourself. You you're saying that you're you're crucifying your flesh. And so, if 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 you've ever killed anything, it's a violent act. If you if you tried to come for me right now. It's going to be some violence. I promise you that. You can shoot me, but if you don't hit me in the right spot, I'm coming for you or I'm gone. And you would have failed. Either way it go. Depending on how frisky I'm feeling that day. But it's not going to happen easily. So the way you need to approach this, you you can't approach this with a laissez-faire attitude. You can't approach this in in a lackadaisical way. You have to understand, no, I am killing my flesh so that I can have the right posture towards him and understand that I'm spiritually bankrupt. So just know that you can't come halfway with making these things happen. Because if you let your flesh live, eventually it's going to get the strength to come roaring back. So spend time reflecting on why you're experiencing those emotions. And then once you've done that, ask yourself these two questions. Number one, is there an opportunity for me to trust God more so that I might experience eternal life? So you might be experiencing something that's challenging, something that's stretching you, something that's taking you to the edge, right? And so take that thing to the Lord. Isn't an opportunity for you to trust Jesus and his plan for your life. How would the Lord have you faithfully walk this thing out? Because this helps us in our posture of humility, because we understand our desperate need for Jesus at that point. It's us understanding like, oh, Oh, I'm limited. I'm finite. My power is not sufficient to handle this problem. Oh, Lord, yes, I need you. Like, no, I need you. I'm desperate for you and your presence. I'm desperate for you in my life. I'm desperate for you to come to my aid. And then lastly, there's this. Is there an opportunity for, for me, right, for me to look at the interests of others over my own, right? Because a lot of times when our program gets interrupted because we're in relationship with other people and other people we face, sometimes they have a bad day. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're struggling just like we do. And if we're so focused on ourselves, we don't have the capacity to have empathy for others. So the Lord may be inviting you to a posture of humility as you look to others' interests over your own. So here's the deal. The reason I love the Lord, one of the reasons, there's many reasons, right? But the thing is this, like I have the opportunity to be unbothered. So like I'm I'm facing something, a challenge, a struggle in my life. I have the opportunity through my relationship with him to say, oh, oh, oh no, I'm sitting at a low place. I I know he's going to take care of that for me. I have the opportunity to to interact with someone. like Even if if they're having a bad day, oh man, I'm I'm so sorry, that's how you're feeling. Can I pray for you? What can I do? I can ask questions, get to know your story. Can we pray together? I can absorb that. I can have empathy because I'm already receiving everything I need from the Father. So I have an understanding of my dependency on him. He's already meeting my needs, so I'm free to have this relationship. And so then I get a chance to just walk around unbothered. I can be myself, I can love people, I can be lighthearted, I can have joy, I can have a peace that passes all understanding because I understand that it's not me that have it anyway, it's the Lord. Even in all my work, even in all my striving, even in everything that I do, I'm in, it's an illusion that I was ever in control in the first place. And trust me, right now I have plenty of opportunity to be irritated and upset. But I serve a God that that sits high and looks low. That he would care and love somebody like me. So we have the opportunity today then to to take communion, to to highlight the significance of Jesus and what he's done for us. So you can can find your communion at your end of the uh, your pew but here's the deal Um, the good news here the good news here is in Luke 14 verse 11 for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted This idea that that He will exalt us. We don't have to use our own strength. He will do it. We don't have to have selfish ambition. We don't have to be filled with pride because we serve a God that loves you and cares for you and desires to exalt you at the proper time. And I just want to witness to you that my testimony is the fact that I am someone that He has exalted. If you knew my life, if you knew my story, if you knew what I've been through, you would understand. It would be clear that, oh, the Lord totally did that. There's no probable, logical way that Leonard could go from point A to point B. I'm only here, I promise you, because he was the one that exalted me. So I'm a living testimony of what he will do. And Lord, I will gladly take my seat and let you do what you're going to do. Because here's what I've learned. The Lord has given me grace to know that I'm only going to mess it up anyway. I'm just saying. So this is what is available to us. Here's why humility is not such a bad thing in Romans chapter 6 verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. They gave Jesus his best shot, their best shot. They did all they could to eliminate him, to remove him as a threat. But he still rose with all power and authority in his hand he still has ultimate victory. And so as we're here on this Sunday, we, we don't want to take for granted what the Lord has done. This is now possible for us, for us to take a low position and be exalted by Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. It cost him something. It took a lot. He had to suffer and he had to die. And sometimes we need to remember the significance of what Jesus did for us so that we don't squander his sacrifice. So then today that's what we do. We're taking communion. So Jesus took the bread and said, this is my bread, symbol of my body that was broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. This represents the shed blood that was shed for you for the remission of your sins. Take and drink all of it. You guys can stand up as we're about to go. So here's my prayer for us as we get ready to leave. I just pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with appearances. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with with external actions and behavior so that we can look good in the sight of others. I pray that we would seek something deeper, something more significant. I'm thinking about the C.S. Lewis quote that says um, that, that we are far too easily pleased. I pray that we would desire more true transformation right the peace in Philippians 4 we read Philippians 4 right the peace that passes all understanding the joy that we can experience regardless of our circumstances I pray that, that we desire that I pray that we have an appetite for that to truly to be transformed to truly to be a new creation to truly to become formed into the image of Jesus Christ So that when we leave this place, we, with great intensity, desire to put our flesh to death so that we can be exalted by Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for this day and this opportunity to be here. Lord, we're grateful that you continue to pursue us, you continue to chase after us, even when we shut you out of certain parts of our life. But you still pursue, you still chase, and you still say, son, daughter, I have more for you. So I just pray for us in this place that, that we would have an appetite for more, that we would desire more. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage we need to, and the strength that we need to, to put our flesh to death, to crucify our flesh and take the lowly position and trust you and wait on you to exalt us. I pray, Lord, that that as others experience us out in the world, that they would be blown away by our love, our generosity and our kindness and our freedom to love others because we've already received from you. Lord, may, may that be our testimony. May that be how people experience us. So that people may come to look at us and say, man, what is different about them? And that they would come seeking to be saved and to know your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, be with us. Would you keep us or would you protect us, Lord, until we meet again here next week? We prayed all these things and said amen. Thank you, guys. Grace and peace. We'll see you guys next week.